0: Last Sunday, my wife told me she felt like she was watching Tron when that video started. We're big Tron fans in our house. Um, But speaking of movies, one of the things I like to do on the weekends is is watch a movie that just helps me to disconnect from reality. Because the world is hard, and it's intense, and it's stressful, and so so often I just look to movies not to make a a point about society and the world, not to show me some side of humanity that I haven't seen. Sometimes I just want to turn my brain off pop some popcorn, and just disconnect. And one of my favorite actors to help me do that is this guy, The Rock. Um, His movies are not typically the deepest in the world, um, but they are fun, and they help me disconnect from reality. And I just have so much admiration for this guy's discipline. I mean, I follow him on Instagram, and this guy, when he works out, I mean, he gets after it. Um, And so about a year ago, I was scrolling through social media one day, and I saw this post That The Rock had made, and it came to mind today as I I was prepping my sermon. He said, uh, in his post, he said, it was not my finest hour, but a man's got to go to work. We experienced a power outage due to severe storms, causing my front gate not to open. This is the problems you have when you make lots of money in making movies. (laughs) I tried to override the hydraulic system to open the gate, which typically works when the power goes out, but this time it wouldn't. I made some calls to see how fast I could get the gate tech on site, but I didn't have time to wait. By this time, I had hundreds of production crew members waiting for me to come to work so we could start our day, so I did what I had to do. And what he did was this. (laughs) He goes on to say, I pushed, pulled, and ripped the gate completely off myself. I tore it out of the brick wall, severed the steel hydraulics and threw it on the grass my security team was able to meet the gate technician and welders about an hour later and they were apparently quote in disbelief and equally scared (laughs) not my finest hour but I had to go to work I know that's happened to you you had to get to work you were running late and you just pulled your gate right off of its hinges I would call him Samson, but he's bald, so maybe we'll call him Bald Samson. But um, when I started thinking about Jesus saying the phrase we're going to look at today, I am the gate, my brain went to that picture um, immediately. That has nothing to do with anything other than I wanted you to know kind of how my brain works a little bit. But we're in a series this spring called Jesus According to Jesus. And we're talking about who Jesus says that he is in his own words, not somebody else's words, not somebody else's thoughts, not a documentary, not a book, not a magazine article, but in his own words, who does Jesus say that he is? And he uses these very tangible images to help us. Week one, we talked about the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And in the same way that his audience knew what it was to be hungry and then be satisfied and then be hungry again, Jesus says, I am the bread of life and I satisfy you in a way that you'll never be hungry again. Last week, we looked at I am the light of the world. We talked about the fact that to people who've known darkness so well, Jesus steps in and he says, I am the light and anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. And so I hope this week you... You lit a candle, and you connected with the fact that in the midst of wherever you're at today and dealing with darkness, Jesus is your light there. And as I said earlier, today's statement is, I am the gate. You may be familiar with this from your study of the Bible. Your translation may say, I am the door, but we're going to use the phrase, I am the gate today. And so here's the big idea if you're taking notes this morning. If you want abundant life now and eternally, Jesus is your gate. If you want abundant life now in this life, in hum, your human life while you're on earth, and you want it after you die eternally, then Jesus is your gate to that life. And Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 10. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you today, I'd encourage you to pull it out and open up to the book of John. All of our Uh, Work in this series is in the book of John because these seven statements Jesus makes are recorded by John here If you're watching online or you don't have a Bible You can just open up your web browser type this phrase in there and you'll find it If you're new to the Bible John is the fourth book in the second section of the Bible called the New Testament It's preceded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John Um, This is a much shorter passage than last week My wife told me when I got home that when I stood up last week and announced we were reading 19 verses. She's like, the whole thing? So um, this is much shorter for you guys who don't enjoy standing, but I would enjoy to invite you to stand as we read God's word this morning. Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep gate pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he's brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus, we pray that we would be open to you today that just as our Bibles are open now, our hearts would be open too. We pray that we would receive what it is you're trying to say to us, and we pray that it wouldn't be lost on us what you are inviting us to today. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated this morning. So this passage tells us That Jesus tried to speak to them in a figure of speech, but they didn't understand. And so my hope today is to help you make it as accessible for you to understand what Jesus was trying to say so that you don't end up, like his original audience, missing it. And so here's what I think Jesus was trying to say to us. I think there's four separate things here. The first thing I think he was trying to say to us is, we are sheep. All of us are sheep. In this story, the people, in the metaphor or figure of speech that Jesus is giving, the people that we are, are the sheep. And Jesus says this repeatedly in John chapter 10. In John 10:3, he says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he's brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. We're going to be in John 10 next week as well when we explore Jesus' statement that I am the good shepherd. But it isn't just John 10 where we talk about in Scripture that we are sheep. One of the most favorite passages in all the Bible is in the book of Psalms, chapter 23, the psalm of the good shepherd. And David begins that psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Translation, David is a sheep. I mean, he's a king, but he's also a sheep. Later on in Psalm Psalm 100, the writer says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, the sheep of his pasture. In another instance, the gospel writer Mark talks about Jesus and says, when Jesus went ashore from a lake, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. So it doesn't matter where you're reading the Bible. If you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it doesn't matter if you're a king like David or you're just a common person like this crowd. We are Sheep. Now there's a problem with this statement in our world today. There's a lot of people who would say, I'm not a sheep. This phrase has become incredibly popular in the last five to seven years. People say, I'm not a sheep, and that has to do with their politics, that has to do with a cultural issue. Maybe that has to do with where they get their news. And I hear that and I understand that and I have friends who this is their phrase. But here's what I would encourage you, maybe even push you with. I think it's difficult to say that phrase in the context or arena of politics and for it not to become an identity that begins to shape your life even as you're walking with Jesus. Because this phrase is rooted in a um, pride, it's rooted in an independence that I think runs counter to the way that Jesus wants us to walk in. I'm not a sheep, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm not a sheep, I'm not just going to be easily taken advantage of. I'm not a sheep, I'm not going to be a follower. And yet what Jesus says to us is, well, I'm your shepherd and you're going to follow me. A couple years ago there was a viral video that came across my social media feed and it was a woman saying that she believed that this was a season when jesus was separating the sheep and the goats in the culture and over in another section of the video she had said that she wasn't a sheep and so she said jesus is separating the sheep and the goats and the man interviewing her i don't know this guy so this is just how i'm watching the video i could see a little bit of a grin on his face like he'd been to sunny school as a kid And so he just asked her, well, which one are you? And she said, well, I'm not a sheep. I'm a goat. And I'll just tell you, if you haven't read Matthew 25, Jesus basically says, this is my translation of Jesus, you want to be a sheep, you don't want to be a goat. Matthew 25, 31 to 45, Jesus says, I'm separating them, the sheep and the goats, and the sheep go on to eternal life with him. And the goats go on to eternal life separated from him. You want to be a sheep because the only other option is a goat. And again, if you're like, Scott, stop getting political. I'm not trying to get political. I'm trying to get your politics out of your relationship with God so it doesn't keep you from following Jesus in the way that he wants you to. Because see, here's the thing. To follow Jesus is to walk more deeply into humility. You will not be formed into the image of Jesus if you lack humility. Philippians chapter two, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, everyone in earth and under the earth should bow. At the name of Jesus and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 5-11. One of the earliest hymns in the church. We sing firm foundation. They sing Philippians 2, 5-11. through 11. Your attitude should be the same attitude as Jesus So if if you want to say, hey, I'm not going to be taken advantage of by some scheme of somebody else who's trying to tell me something false, then don't do that. But don't allow your identity that you adopt because of how you're trying to navigate the world politically to keep you from who Jesus wants you to be. Because you're his sheep. And guess what? He can't be your shepherd if you're not a sheep. The first thing jesus says here is that we are sheep the second thing he says is that he is the gate of salvation he's the gate of salvation again you may be reading in a different translation than i preach from i preach from the christian standard bible it isn't the best bible or the only bible it's just one that i have found that i like Um, some translations say that jesus is the door it's a, a word in hebrew that can be translated either way gate or door and in John ten seven, he says, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out to find pasture. And again, most of us have not worked as shepherds. So we don't understand the dynamic of the first century world where people either were shepherds, new shepherds, saw shepherds. But in that world, there were two different types of sheep pens. There would be sheep pens near a city on the edge of a community. And those sheep pens looked something like this. They weren't built out of wood or metal. They would be built out of stone. And multiple flocks of sheep or herds of sheep would be present in one pen and there would be a man employed as the gatekeeper who would keep a watch over multiple flocks of sheep while they were in a pen like this and there would be a literal gate in the pen and so when one of the shepherds whose flock was in the pen would show up the gatekeeper would open the gate that shepherd would go into the pen, that shepherd would call for his sheep and only his sheep would come to him. The other sheep would not because he wasn't their shepherd and they didn't know his voice. And that shepherd would then lead his sheep out of the pen and out in the pasture to eat. But while they were out in the pasture and in the countryside, there'd be a different kind of pen. And that kind of pen would also likely be constructed with stone, but there would be no gates. There would just be a hole where the sheep came in. And so while they were out in the pasture, the only way to keep the sheep in and the threats out was for the shepherd to literally stand in the gap and become the gate. The shepherd would literally lie and sleep there so that if a threat was going to get to the sheep, the threat had to go through him. And Jesus says, I am that shepherd. I am that gate. And when you're my sheep, threats have to come through me to get to you. And for Jesus, for him to be the gate, he had to sacrifice himself. And the reason that Jesus can say that he is our good shepherd and our gate is because that he's literally given it all. He died on the cross that we might have a way to him. That he might deliver us from the threats that were facing us in terms of sin, death, and the grave. And be clear, Jesus is saying that he is the gate. He is not a gate. He is the gate there's not another option there's not somebody coming for us there's not somebody else who's willing to step in jesus is the one who came and said i am the only one who can make a way for you to salvation and for me to do that i have to sacrifice myself fully i have to die on the cross for you for you to have a way back to god and i lay down my life freely jesus is the gate and there is no other gate like him. The third thing Jesus is saying to us in this text is that he promises us both protection and provision. He not only promises to protect us as his sheep, he promises to provide for us as his sheep. In John 10:1, he says, truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate... But climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber, intent on stealing, intent on doing violence. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. He later says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture He says a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus is acknowledging that there were people who tried to attack the sheep, who tried to attack the herd, and there were people literally in that day who would go after sheep. He's also making a metaphorical point. He's saying that there are people who have intent for the sheep that he's speaking to, the people he's speaking to, to lead them astray, to take advantage of them, to hurt them for their own gain. There were people who'd come before Jesus and claimed to be the Messiah. People had come before Jesus and claimed to be the one that had always been promised. And Jesus said they came with ill intent, with bad motives, with selfish agendas, and those were played out and proven. He said, I'm not like those shepherds. He also says that he comes not only to bring us into the pen and then stand in the gap, he also comes to lead us out into pasture. Some of us have a really easy time embracing the idea that God is big enough to deal with the obstacles, the enemies, the um, painful difficulties to protect us. Some of us have an easy time with that but we have a much harder time with Jesus providing for us. Like, I'll let Jesus protect me from the bad stuff, but I'm going to take care of myself when it comes to the good stuff. Some of us have a really easy time being generous to others, but we have a really hard time with people being generous to us. Some of us are really good givers. We're just not good receivers. We're good at praying to God for protection, We're not really good at trusting God for provision. But when you're a sheep and you have a shepherd, that shepherd is not only promising to keep you safe in the pen, that shepherd is promising to lead you out into the pasture where you can thrive and flourish. And that's the part of the gate that I think many believers struggle with. you've not experienced thriving and flourishing in your life like you thought you were going to. Because most of our lives have not gone according to plan. Can I get an amen? Amen. And there's a part of our heart sometimes where we're not sure that we can take Jesus at his word, that he's going to provide for us so we can thrive and flourish because what we thought thriving and flourishing was going to look like is not where our life has gone. And to trust in Jesus as our gate is to open ourselves up to Him and put our full trust in Him. Yes, to protect us, but also to provide for us. And if there's a part of you that's a little bit cynical about this, I get it. You're not where you thought you'd be. Your life has not gone the way that you planned. If you and Jesus could have a little meeting and kind of get back on your plan, you'd appreciate it. But guess what? You're a sheep. And he's the shepherd. And part of being that sheep is growing in humility and dependence on the shepherd. that That shepherd knows and sees things you don't. Humility is really fun to talk about. It is not really fun to practice. And Jesus transformed our world when it came to humility. Historians will tell you that before Jesus was born and lived and ministered and made his mark on the world, the world did not value humility. If you study ancient Near Eastern literature, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Medes, the Greeks, the Egyptians, even the Romans... You don't find humility being an aspired-to value or virtue. But literally, historians contract to the first century a shift in values when humility began to be a value people talked about, admired, and pursued. And in his book, Humilitas, the historian John Dixon from Australia identifies that it was the life of Jesus who embodied humility that changed how the world, both believers and not believers, saw this quality. So, friends, if you're going to be formed into the image of Jesus and become his sheep, you're going to have to grow in your dependence and submission and surrender to him. And trust that not only is he going to protect you, but also that he can provide for you. The fourth thing Jesus is saying to us, the final thing, is that he provides us with an experience of abundant life now. Now. The most well-known verse in this section, John 10, is verse 10, where Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Now, this word life here is one of the Apostle John's favorite words to highlight in his gospel. He begins his gospel talking about this word. In John one, he says all things were created through him. Him refers to Jesus, and apart from Jesus, not one thing that was that has been created was created. In him was life, same word we saw in John ten ten, and that life was the light of men. That word there in John one and John ten that is translated into English as life is the word Zoe. Say it with me, Zoe, not Zoe. Zoe. And the word Zoe in Greek means life in all that it was created and intended to be. It is not just life here on earth. It is life in terms of the eternity of our existence. So when Jesus says, I have come that they might have life, he's not just saying your heart beating and your breath coming in and going out. He's saying the life that you will experience now on into eternity. John 1, in Jesus was Zoe. And that Zoe was the light of all mankind. Now the struggle when many of us think about life in terms of the church is we think about eternal life. And we think that Jesus came to give us eternal life. And most of us, if we're honest, we tend to think about eternal life like an IOU, an IOU. A couple months ago, my wife and I came home from a date night, looked at each other and said, do you have the cash for the babysitter? And I said, no. Do you have the cash for the babysitter? And no. So what do we do? We stole from our kids in their piggy bank. <laughs> I mean, it's our money. We gave it to them. Um, so we went and got the cash out. And what did we do? We wrote a little note. Okay, we know we owe them this much money. That was an IOU. Most of us view eternal life like that. Like God has given us something that one day we may be able to cash in, but doesn't do much for our life today. Most of us, when it comes to Jesus, we go, Hey, I need forgiveness for my past because I know the things that I messed up that I need forgiveness for. And I have this IOU over here for eternal life when I die. But then there's this giant section of your life. And what about that? I call this the great scandal of the church. We know Jesus forgives us in our past. We know he promises us eternal life in our future. But what about our present? For most people, there are decades between their baptism and their death. What happens in that period? And what Jesus is saying in John 10, 10 is, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. And friends, that eternal abundant life is not something that begins one day. It's a life that he offers us and it begins today, now, literally Jesus says, I have come that they would have life and have it in more volume. The word abundance literally just means uh, more. They, They would have life and have more. So what Jesus gives us, he says, I've come to give you this life, and don't worry, I've got more where that came from. And most of us have never stepped into that abundance that he has for us now. We're trusting him for our eternity, but we're not experiencing eternity in our present. We're not experiencing that in our everyday. We're not experiencing that abundance now. And what Jesus came to do was not just forgive your past and secure your future. It was to transform your present. And next week, we're going to look at how he is our good shepherd. But as our good shepherd, he is not just concerned with getting us to eternity He's concerned with our experience now. And he comes to give that to you now. Now, let me be honest. Abundance doesn't mean that you're never going to go through anything hard. Abundance and adversity can coexist. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So let's keep it real. Some people think that when I become a follower of Jesus, I have this sort of get out of jail free pass. I have this, you know, pill I take that makes me immune to everything. That's not what Jesus offers us. If you're his follower, you're going to go through hard stuff. I mean, all the 11 guys who were there when he went to heaven, all of them died painful, difficult, brutal deaths. Save John. He lived on an island by himself. in exile. And if you think that somehow you're going to get a better outcome than they are, Humility but the life that he offers us begins today. And so this week, what I want to encourage you to do is as you're reading through and thinking about Jesus being the gate, I want to encourage you to think about what does it mean for my life with Jesus to start now and the abundance that he offers me to start now? And what does it mean for me to trust him for that abundance now? Because if you want abundant life now and eternally, Jesus is your gate. So, How will you respond to Jesus's invitation? I was having lunch with a friend of mine this week and he gave me a gem. You ever have somebody that just gives you a gem and you're just like, man, you bought my lunch, but I should have paid you for that. I was talking to him about going to therapy. I'm in therapy. I believe you need Jesus and therapy to live a good life. Um, And so I was in therapy this week and I really was annoyed with my therapist. Like he was being a punk. He wasn't letting me off the hook. He was pushing me, um, and, and I just was not liking it. And my friend said, you ever think that maybe that's how people feel when you get to this part of your sermon? <laughs> like, you don't let them off the hook. You just keep pushing them. I was like, man, I'd never thought about that. So thank you, friend. Here's the first thing I want to invite you to do this week. Enter life through the gate that's Jesus. Some of you have never entered through the gate that is Jesus. You've been coming to church, you've been watching online, you've been around for a long time, but you have never experienced salvation through the gate that is Jesus. And you could do that as straightforward as A, B, and C. You could admit that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. B You could believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. And see, you could confess that Jesus is your Lord and leader and call upon him to save you. See, Jesus isn't just asking us to mentally go, okay, you're the gate. He's asking us to enter through him the gate to the salvation that he has for us. And if you've never put your faith and trust in him, we're going to give you an opportunity this morning. Number two, You can humble yourself. Life isn't always a binary. It isn't always this or that. But when it comes to humility, it is that. Jesus basically says, you can either humble yourself and God will exalt you, or you can exalt yourself and God will humble you. I mean, God's plan A for us is for us all to humble ourselves. And let me tell you, I've experienced plan B, and you want plan A. Life will bring you to your knees. And you can either bow your knees or life will bring you to your knees. And I'd encourage you that this is an opportunity to humble yourself. I know humility is not a high value in our culture today. We tend to reward people who are the opposite of humble. But if we're going to become like Jesus, we're not going to do it without humility. Number three, submit to his protection and trust his provision. Some of you are really good at providing for yourself and protecting yourself yourself. And part of becoming like Jesus and becoming his sheep is submitting to the protection that he's offering you and trusting the provision he wants to make available for you. Now you say, Scott, that sounds like I'm going to be opening myself up and exposing myself. Yeah, that's what surrender looks like. That's what vulnerability looks like. That's what a sheep is on its own it's vulnerable that's why it has a good shepherd that's next sunday and then finally embrace abundance now i think we need to reclaim the word abundance not some of you get a little cringy when i use the word abundance you're thinking i'm gonna start talking about uh blessings from god and prosperity gospel and benzes and blessings It's really tragic that a small subset of the church in the last 150 years has co-opted and owned one biblical idea and twisted it. And if you want to know the theology that America has best exported to the world, it is the prosperity gospel. I've been in the Southern Hemisphere and seen its power. But abundance doesn't just mean that you're making lots of money, you never get sick, and you have the biggest house and the biggest car on the street. Because what did Jesus say? Store up your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. If the abundance that we're talking about rusts and is destroyed, it's not the kind of abundance that Jesus is offering us. And I want to encourage you that there is abundance available for you now with Jesus. And there's more. There's always more with him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the gate. We thank you that you are the way. We thank you that you are the one who literally stands in the gap between what is our future destiny in sin and death and separation from you and you sacrifice yourself so that a way can go forward for us to salvation and abundance, to thriving and flourishing we thank you that you have done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And we pray that we wouldn't just recognize that cognitively in our heads. We pray that we would experience it emotionally in our hearts. we volitionally commit to it with our lives. Jesus, I believe there are some people here and some people who are watching now or who will watch later who have never experienced Your salvation because they've never entered through the gate that is you. And if that's you right now, just in the quietness of this moment, I want to encourage you to take those three steps A, B, and C. Right now, with Jesus, admit your sin. Let Jesus know that you're fully aware of how broken, imperfect, And sinful you are. And then, B, believe. Believe that Jesus is the gate to salvation, that he is the perfect Son of God who lived a perfect sinless life, who died on a cross to take the penalty that was yours, and that rose from the dead to conquer what you could not conquer yourself. And then C, confess. Confess that you want Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. You're handing him the keys. You're getting out of the driver's seat. You're turning your life over to him. And you want to follow him into that abundance now. Now and for eternity. Jesus, I pray for my friends in this room and those who are watching that we wouldn't just be deeply committed to you as an idea, but that we would be deeply formed into you and our character. We want our lives to look like yours. And we know that entering through the gate that is you is the only way to that. So today we put our faith and trust in you. We thank you for your goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen.